This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property, mainly with a focus on Manawatu Wanganui but sometimes, as we are today, a little bit on the market in general and also we'll spend a bit of time later in the show talking about the new changes that are proposed by both National and Labour around uh, density of housing and how that may affect you or how that may assist and whether it will work. So that's a bit later on the show. But first of all, a bit of local news. And this is by Janine Rankin on stuff.co.nz. More bowling club land is destined for housing. This is in Palmerston North. The no longer used Terrace End Bowling Club is almost certain to be used for housing. The City Council's Planning and Strategy Committee has confirmed its desire to see the block of land in Summerhays Street used for housing. Public feedback was strongly in favour of using the 7,664 square metre site relinquished by the Terracene Bowling Club in mid-2020 to help overcome the city's housing shortage. But as a concession to those who submitted in support of ongoing access to green space, council staff have asked to further explore whether some sort of park could be included among the homes. The next step is to change the zoning of half of the property, which is currently zoned for recreational use, to match the residential zoning of the balance of the land. And Acting City Planning Manager Michael Duendum said the process would provide further opportunities for public feedback. And while the council hasn't decided what sort of housing could be provided at the site, the Chief Planning Officer David Murphy said council staff were developing some options and Planning and Strategy Committee Chairwoman Alicia Rutherford said it was exciting to see progress towards creating a well-designed housing development that could help relieve the housing shortage. So clues there that may be uh, relating to the density of the housing. And although the council had not yet decided whether it should be social housing, it did have $14 million in its budget for that purpose. Councillor Lorna Johnson said it was important to work quickly to provide housing she said waiting lists for Kainga Ora and council housing were growing and many community groups including Age Concern, the Salvation Army, Women's Refuge and Mental Health Services were reporting urgent needs. It's a pretty grim situation. And Lorna Johnson says that people are sleeping in abandoned buildings or on cars or couch surfing. We need to move as soon as possible. Councillor Brent Barrett said the council had received good quality feedback from the public Of the 57 submissions, 36 were in support of a range of housing options from conventional subdivision to social housing, disability, older person or emergency accommodation. Overall, it was clear support for housing and where the Terracene Bowling Club uh, land is. And there'll be further work to add value, including that, that public green space. So I'll let you know when the time comes to see some plans on what they're going to do there. 
uh, just earlier this uh, week, in fact last night, uh, I was at an event based around opening up of uh, 23 sections of land in Martin, and uh, that's very well received for the local people there, uh, more housing, and it's nice to see that they build in areas uh, that are there for the public good within subdivision as well, that is shared areas. So just looking now at a bit of the overall economic news, this article from stuff.co.nz says inflation shock may hit mortgage holders hard and soon. Interesting that it says may. You know, no one really wants to uh, confirm absolutely these things. But it says that homeowners may start paying a price for higher inflation sooner rather than later, the country's biggest bank believes. ANZ is tipping inflation will reach 5.8% early next year and the official cash rate 2% in August. But the bank warned a dramatic increase in wholesale swap rates on Monday, which meant that there's now real pressure for mortgage rates to rise further before long. The annual yield on 10-year government bonds has jumped about 30 basis points over the last week, soaring above 2.3%. The movement in financial markets increased the chance that the housing market momentum could turn more sharply than forecast and flip more abruptly than expected, the bank said. ANZ upped its forecast for inflation and interest rates in the wake of the stats New Zealand reporting a steep increase in annual inflation to 4.9% recently. Chief economist Sharon Zolner caused a stir in March when she warned that only 1% rise in mortgage rates would slash 5% off the disposable income of Aucklanders. I'll just say that again. If the interest rates go up by 1% in in mortgage rates, that is, that would slash 5% off the disposable income of Aucklanders. So that's something where we'll have to see uh, that, that, if it's ongoing, and there are several changes, can make a real difference in the market. That 5% would be about 3% in the rest of New Zealand. Um, So your disposable income would be reduced if the mortgage rates went up. So ANZ is now forecasting the Reserve Bank will increase the OCR in six steps of 25 basis points. Remember, this is a forecast, not a definite. Raising the OCR in each of its scheduled reviews in November, February, April, May, July and August after keeping it very steady for a very long time. Some other forecasters believe that Reserve Bank could raise the rate by 50 basis points, that's 0.5 of a percent, uh, if uh, banks were to match it on their loans, to 1% in the next review on November 24. BNZ is putting the chances of a double hike in November at 50-50, saying the central bank is now well and truly behind the curve in chasing inflation down. Now this will have an effect in some areas more than others, as that article says. Uh, Also, the reason that this may affect the housing market is if people find it too hard, if they've leveraged themselves too much to purchase a property, then they may find that they can no longer afford the mortgage repayments and more properties may become available for sale. Now that normally only happens once there's been several changes and, and if they're quite dramatic. Nevertheless, that is something that, that could happen. It's important to know here in Manawatu, Wanganui, that the market is extremely strong though and a lot of people moving into the area, into our region, a lot of work being done and that will continue now for some time yet. I was talking to an accountant uh, the other day who does a lot of research in this area and he's predicting that Palmerston North, for example, could keep increasing in house prices for the next five years. I certainly think it will for the next couple of years. 
and uh, we'll just see see where things go. Unless there's some extraordinary global event on top of all the other global events we seem to be having, then I think uh, this region is a very good one to be investing in. Here's another article, this one from Miriam Bell, who writes often on real estate matters for stuff.co.nz. It says, first home buyers take record share of house purchases. So the first home buyer's share of purchases hit its highest level on record in the three months ending September. This is from uh, the CoreLogic buyer classification figures. They were responsible for 26.5% of purchases, up from 24% in the previous quarter and from 21% in the six months before that. CoreLogic has been recording buyer classification figures since 2005 and the previous record for first-home buyers was 25% of purchases in the July to September months of last year. So we're now at 265 That means that there's more activity there and in fact the figures show a strong pickup in first home buyers activity and, and corresponded with a decline in mortgaged investors market share. Mortgaged investors, what are they? They're people who own a house who are buying an investment property. So CoreLogic Chief Property Economist Kelvin Davidson said the figures went against the perception that it was almost impossible for first home buyers to get into the market. That was not to suggest it was easy for first home buyers because it's not, with a saving d- a deposit taking an average of 9.5 years, he said. But clearly, although house prices have risen a lot in the past year and from an already high level, many first-home buyers are still finding ways to enter the market, which is good news. People are accessing KiwiSaver, tapping into the bank's low deposit lending allowance and accessing the bank of mum and dad, he says. Many were also compromising and buying smaller properties such as apartments which gave them access to more affordable prices. He says it's worth noting that first home buyers market share was pretty strong everywhere. Even in Auckland where the average price is 1.3 million, they had a solid share. But lending conditions are about to change for first home buyers because the bank's speed limits for low deposit lending will be reduced from November the 1st. So they'll have to use more discretion and not be allowed to lend in as many cases as what they currently are. What I might consider if I was a first home buyer is getting finance locked in and prearranged uh, before November the 1st, so that then uh, that should, and don't quote me on this, but most banks should hold that for six months. Just check that out. But that's something to consider if you can, if you can lock in a rate um, and you're in that category where, where you've got a low deposit but they will lend to you, well then it's worth locking that in for a period so you've got time to find a property. Incidentally, most low deposit lending went to first home buyers, so uh, the change in reducing the amount is likely to hit them hard. There were financial incentives to make the move into home ownership because paying a mortgage was still cheaper than renting in many parts of the country, and that includes Manawatu Wanganui. I guess the hurdle is getting the deposit to be able to purchase the house. So that's why if they can get in on a low deposit and the banks can make an exception, that's a good way to go. So rents have been uh, rising quite quickly, he said. And in fact, I know from from my research that uh, rents have gone up about 13 to 15% in the last 12 months in our region. So his comments were that supply and demand is tight in the rental market and landlords may be trying to get ahead of looming mortgage rate rises too. And that's a double-edged sword where if mortgage rates go up, 
then that may be passed on to tenants in terms of rent increases. Interest deductibility changes seem to be causing faster rent rises than we inspect, beg your pardon, that we expected and than otherwise might have been the case, although wages should still be an anchor for rental growth over the long run. So this is the removal of uh, landlords' ability to deduct interest and that's staged over four years until eventually they can't uh, deduct the interest at all. So it's interesting that he says that uh, faster rent rises have been happening possibly as uh, related to those changes, which is what I predicted in, in previous shows, is, is that it will be the tenant or tenants that suffer for these changes, not, not the landlords. Just on the other side of the coin, the, the mortgage investors' share of the market fell to 24.2% in the three months ending in September, and that was down from 25% in the previous quarter and back to the level seen before the removal of loan-to-value ratio rules reignited investor demand last year. Davidson said the return of the loan-to-value ratios, along with new tax policies for investors meant mortgage investors' share was likely to drop further, potentially to an even lower than late 2017 trough of 22%. In other words, the government's putting uh, quite a number of disincentives for investors to mean that those properties may be available for first-home buyers. So the dip in their market share was concentrated on smaller-scale investors who would have been making their first investment or who had one or two rentals and would have been buying another. So it's getting harder for the... I guess the little guy, so to speak, who's just trying to, to move forwards on life. So that's where the the those people and what they call the mum and dad investors, which again is not my words, that's just in the article. So we suspect that these mum and dads would tend to have the greatest difficulty in raising a 40% deposit and or be the most uncertain about the true effect of interest deductibility changes. So they've started to retreat a little, which is what the government is wanting. The article also refers to the high-density uh, planning reforms, but we'll cover that after the break and talk a little bit about that. Um, and it'll be interesting to watch the market with regards uh, investors and how they are going. What we're finding in this region is that the market's still uh, very busy indeed with regards people investing, in, and that includes people from within the area and outside of the area because the house prices here are still relatively affordable and the rents are pretty good for what you pay as an investor. So we'll have a break now. We're going to listen to a bit of Imagine Dragons on top of the world here on NPR.
And you're listening to Property Matters here on NPR. I'm Greg Watson on Manawatu People's Radio. Te reo irirangi o nga tangata o Manawatu. Lovely to have your company. Before the break, we had a bit of assorted news about the market, but now we're going to look at the changes or the bill that's proposed or the bill that's uh, not only just proposed but supported by both Labour and National to make sweeping housing density changes. So law change will allow landowners in Auckland, Hamilton, Wellington and Christchurch to build up to three storeys without resource consent. The government and National have unveiled a new bill to force councils to allow more dense housing by defanging planning laws. New intensification rules will allow buildings of up to three storeys on most sites and cities without any need for resource consent from August of next year. The bill is paired up with a speed-up of the government's national policy statement on urban development, which stops councils hindering development by banning height limits of less than six storeys and car parking requirements in urban areas. So that one's uh, already in place, the statement on urban development. So that will now take place from August 2023 instead of August 2024, so they're speeding that up a bit. So an analysis from PricewaterCooperHouse suggests... Uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers, I should say, <laughs> suggests these changes will add between forty-eight and 105,000 new dwellings over the next five to eight years. The median density changes will allow landowners in Auckland, Hamilton, Wellington and Christchurch to build up to three storeys and on up to 50% of their land without resource consent. Now, how much of a change is that? Well, it's fairly significant. And 50% of land might not sound like much, but it's actually quite a lot. Uh, for example, here in Palmas North, we can build on up to 40, and even then you, you would see houses that appear to take up most of the land. It's a, sort of like an optical illusion. So that's where the 50% means um, more dense housing. Homes will need to still comply, of course, with the building code, so we'll still need to meet the standards for durability, weatherproofing and safety. Environment Minister David Parker and Housing Minister Megan Woods made the announcement alongside National Leader Judith Collins and Housing Spokeswoman Nicola Willis in a rare show of bipartisanship. Working with National on these changes delivers stable, enduring policy on urban density and this gives homeowners, councils, developers and investors certainty about enduring planning rules, Woods said. Collins said... Adversarial politics should be put aside in the case of an emergency and housing had become an emergency. National sees the Resource Management, Enabling Housing Supply and Other Matters Amendment Bill, that's quite a, quite a name, as a step forward. The changes it contains will allow New Zealanders to do more on their land without needing resource consent, reducing the time, cost and complexity that too often greets those who want to build new dwellings. And uh, Many of us may have come across that before. Parker said some exemptions would remain for reasons of heritage or natural hazard. So the medium density residential standards will enable landowners to build up to three homes of up to three storeys on most sites 
up to 50% maximum coverage of the site without the need for a resource consent, Parker said. Before this change, district plans would typically only allow for one home of up to two storeys. There will be exemptions in the medium density rules in areas where intensification is inappropriate, such as where there is a high risk of natural hazards or if a site has heritage value. So that's interesting. That's the the statement itself and uh, come out in the news in, in the last week. Now, just to, I guess, put some minds slightly to rest, this is a bill at this stage, which then has to go through a couple of other uh, readings um, and so forth, uh, consultation, etc., before it gets to the stage where it's made a law. But the fact that both parties, both major parties support it means that it can be passed. It's just a matter of ironing out uh, the details. So this article by Michaela Wilkes and stuff on October the 20th relates to this. It says, yes, in your backyard, what a new medium density housing law means for you. And what she's referring to, of course, is what they call nimbyism, where people are saying, yeah, that's a good idea as long as it's not in my backyard. So the sweeping new policy that has been, um, she she has come through, she talks about that and then says and it's good news for developers but bad news for anyone next door to a site owned by a developer but will it actually make much difference to the rest of us does it change the game for people who aren't developers and in a word yes so every council in what they're calling a tier one city that's Auckland, Hamilton, Tauranga, Wellington and Christchurch will be required to allow medium density housing on all residential land without the resource consent process And while the detail of the district plans vary across the country, currently most people who want to build something other than one standard two-storied house with a garden on a single section have to apply for both resource and building consent. And the two-step process is really lengthy, it's expensive, it's politically charged, and for many people, more trouble than it's worth. Councils can reject resource consent for a multitude of reasons and can also ask for changes. Part of this process is generally asking for written consent from neighbours who might be affected by said development, say, by losing some sunlight, explains Stuff Chief Political Reporter Henry Cook. Even if you do that, councils can ask for the consent to be notified if they believe it will affect the wider community. This means you have to publicly announce whatever you're building and then allow time for other interested parties, such as neighbours, to object if they wish to. So from August of next year, that will be no more. So will we still need a building consent? Uh, Definitely is the answer to that. Uh, The policy does not change the rules on building consents. They'll still be required in the situations they are now, said a spokesperson for Ministry of Housing and Urban Development. Resource consents will not be required where buildings comply with the new medium density residential standards. In many cases, these new standards would enable additional dwellings, dwellings to be built in front or backyards. That might mean a family could put a granny flat in the garden to give themselves extra space without a process which, according to Auckland urban designer Matt Prasad, can easily cost up to $50,000 in months of time with no guarantees of approval. That's incredible. Obtaining a building consent is generally more straightforward than a resource consent, says John Tukey, Professor of Construction Management at AUT University. That's because a resource consent is a conceptual solution your idea to build something, whereas a building consent is approval on your actual plans to build, that is, the blueprints, measurements and engineering. So in essence, you're cutting the first step and that's a whole lot of admin. 
You're just saying, is this structure the right height and size and so on, as opposed to, does the council think this tiny house is aesthetically pleasing and fits in with the neighbourhood? So changes there that will move things along. So the next question that sort of follows along from that is, can I build whatever I want in my yard? Well, unfortunately, it's not a free-for-all. Anything you build will still need to meet the new standards. In other words, um, there will be standards accompanying this bill and law. Um, And the guideline they've given so far is whatever you build can be up to three storeys high. We talked about the 50% um, plot on on the land. A A section can feature up to three units, although each one will need some sort of outdoor area. Buildings have to be at least a metre away from side boundaries and two and a half metres from front boundaries. If councils wish, they can amend these requirements to make them more permissive, i.e. higher buildings or closer together, but they're not allowed to make them less permissive. This is coming from the top level and will overrule um, the councils. So what if they're tiny homes is a question. Well, the tiny homes apply too. The ground floor will need at least 15 square metres of outdoor space and the houses with, with no ground floor will need at least 8 square metres. So these will all be thrashed out in time. And here's another question. Can I stop my neighbour building something I think is hideous or can they stop me? Uh, the answer it would appear at the moment is if what the building complies with all the standards that we've talked about, then no, or at least not easily. They'll still require a resource consent if they're not compliant with the standards, but will only be assessed on the ones they do not meet. So it's a narrower assessment than under plans currently. So people can still go up and beyond, but they have to get the consent. So if you've got a neighbour who has previously turned down for their plans to squeeze three houses onto their section, they will be able to go ahead with that now. And um, this will cause uh, quite a bit of this nimbyism, not, not in my backyard. So you will have grounds to make objections to what a neighbour might be planning on doing, but the grounds for making an objection are more constrained. But what if a neighbour's three-storey building wrecks my view? And unfortunately you might not know about it until after it's built. There would be no requirement for resource consent, no public notification, which means no formal opportunity to object, says the housing and urban development spokesperson. Tough luck, basically. So that's interesting as well. Still have to be to building code. Uh, With regards to subdivision, which uh, landlords would be interested in, um, doesn't mean you don't need to subdivide to put a second house on the section. So the new medium density residential standards will enable existing sites to have three properties without any subdivision. Really interesting for investors there to buy a property, put two more on, rent them all out, and then sell them in future as a single going concern. So I just thought I'd go through that with you. Uh, Interesting stuff. Watch the space. I'll update you as as we go through this process. But that's all we've got time for today in Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson. You can find me online. Just search Greg Watson and pretty much anything to do with property and I should turn up uh, or look up the Property Matters show. And you can find this podcast wherever all good podcasts are found or by listening to MPR or visiting mpr.nz. Thanks and have a great week. We'll talk to you uh, next week. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate.